The Lord be with you. Welcome to Thin Places, the podcast channel of St. Aidan's Anglican Church in Nicholasville, Kentucky. I'm Father Lee, the pastor here at St. Aidan's, and I want to invite you to join me here each week as we join together to share common prayer, common worship, and common life. And just as the streams feed the trees on their banks till they pour in the seas, so may my life be to all those who share this wilderness road. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Speak, O Lord, and the Lord. 
with me. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are our strength and you are our redeemer. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. I invite you to be seated. The kids can come forward so we can continue our, uh, our discussion about the Nicene Creed. Let's come on forward. You can sit right here in front of the, in, in front of the pulpit. There we go. Good morning, everybody. What did you guys learn about in Sunday school today? Um, Ian, what did you learn about? Noah's Ark, that's right. Did you learn about the promise that God made? Yes. What was the promise that God made? He would never flood the earth again. He would never flood the earth again, that's right. Yeah, that's God's promise to us. We're going to talk about another one of God's promises to us today. All right, we've been talking about the creed, okay? And the creed means, I believe, and I believe means? I trust. I trust. That's right. I believe means, I trust. We trust in God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and we trust in the gifts that God has given us. He's given us baptism, he's given us the church, and today we're going to talk about one of the most important gifts of all. It comes from our baptism, and it comes through the church. One of the last things that we say in the creed is, I look for the resurrection of the dead. I look for the resurrection of the dead. Now, I have a question for you guys. Does anybody know the story of Lazarus in the Bible? Anybody? Hmm? Ian, do you know the story of Lazarus? Nobody else seems to. Do you know the story of Lazarus? Tully doesn't remember it either, so she can't help you. Uh, yes, Jesus is in the story. That's true. Uh -huh. So this is the story of Lazarus. Jesus had a very, very close friend, and his name was Lazarus. And Lazarus died. He got sick, and then he died. And Jesus came to the town, and Lazarus had two sisters. Does anybody know what their names were? Mary and Martha. His sisters were named Mary and Martha. And while he was far away, Martha came running out to him. And she came to him, and this is what she said. I have to find it where I, where I underlined it. Oh, I covered it up with my sticky note. That's the problem. <laughs> That's the problem when you use sticky notes wrong. Cover up the part you're looking for. So Martha ran to him and she said, Jesus, Lord, right? Lord means king. That's right. She says to him, you are my king. She says, Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, he will give it to you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And you know what she said? I do. I believe that he will rise again at the end when everybody comes uh, to be judged before God. Do you know what Jesus said to her? What? It's going to be our memory verse this week. She said, I know that he will rise at the last day. 
And he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and I am the life. Whoever believes in me, even though he dies, he will be alive. And those who live in me will never die. And then he said to her, do you believe this? That's our question today. Do you believe this? When we say the creed, we say, I believe in God. God who is Father, God who is Son, God who is Holy Spirit. But do we believe? Do we believe that he is the Lord and the giver of life? Do we believe in the resurrection of the dead? Do we believe that Jesus makes us alive? Yeah. Do you know what happens when Jesus comes face to face with death? He undoes it. That's right. Jesus goes to the place where they buried Lazarus, and he says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus gets up and comes out. And do you know when else Jesus came face to face with death? On the cross. And when the disciples watched him on the cross, what did they expect was going to happen? That he died, right? And death means the end, right? That's the end of the story. That's what they were expecting. They all went away. They were sad, and they all went away. They put him in the tomb, and they wandered off, and they just sort of sat off by themselves. But that's not where the story ends, is it? No. No. Because Jesus destroyed death. And then he came to his disciples, and he said, peace be with you. The first thing that Jesus said to his disciples after he rose from the dead was, peace be with you. Be at peace. God's peace is with us. Right? Yeah. And something happened in the disciples' hearts. When they met Jesus, something changed in their hearts, and they couldn't stop telling us the story. They couldn't stop talking to everyone that they met about Jesus. They kept going to every single person they met, and they said, Jesus is risen, and because he is risen, we will rise too. Now, I want to show you guys an icon, all right? This is probably the most important icon that we have. This one hangs in the hallway. Can everybody see it? Go over here. Can you guys see it? Can you hang that picture up? It is. It hangs up in the hallway. We have one that's very much like it that's hanging over on the wall over here. This is called the icon of the resurrection. Now, who do you see in the middle of the picture? Jesus. Jesus, that's right. Who else do you see in the picture? He's reaching his hands out. Who do you think he's reaching his hands out to? He's reaching his hands out to Adam and Eve. That's right. We got You guys have been learning about Adam and Eve and about the first sin, right? When death came into the world. Do you know what Jesus is standing on in this picture? Can you see it? He's standing on top of doors. Those are the um, doors to the... Uh, They're the underworld. The doors that death hides behind. And it's surrounded by broken chains and broken locks and broken keys because death can't hold Adam and Eve anymore. Death can't hold us anymore. That's what that icon means. So every time you look at this icon, you can remember that we believe in the resurrection of the dead. And it's not something that happened just once. It's something that happens again and again and again. This is who Jesus is. He raises his people from death because death has been conquered. 
And because we are baptized, we have Jesus' life in us, and it's a life that never goes away. Death can't keep us away from God. It's not the end of the story anymore. Do you believe that? It's the most important thing. The very, very most important thing. That we believe that Jesus is alive. And because he is alive, we will be alive too. Um, what I was trying to say to that, I was like, if God wants me to believe that that's true, then I will believe that. Mm -hmm. That's good. That's a good place to start. We believe the things that Jesus tells us because we trust him, right? Because the things that he tells us are true. Because we believe that the things that he tells us is true. So the question that he asks Mary, do you believe this, is the same question that he's asking us today. Do you believe this? That he was crucified, that he was buried, and that on the third day he rose again, that he ascended into heaven, and that he will come again. Do you believe this? Do you trust in that? Do you trust in Jesus? But Sarah prayer, holy God, holy and mighty, holy and mortal one, have mercy upon us. You guys can go sit down. Make sure my sticky notes on the right side of the page now. <laughs> so we went from one story of Lazarus to another story of Lazarus. And this story is a little bit different. Jesus, you remember that, that the last several weeks, all of the stories that we've been reading about Jesus, his parables and his interactions with the people who are all around him, they're all happening at the same time, okay? So Jesus has gone to a Pharisee's house because he invited him to dinner, and he invited him to dinner, and he brought his disciples with him, and the entire town essentially has shown up, and they're all sitting together, and Jesus begins teaching them. And he teaches them parables. He teaches them by telling them stories that help them to understand the bigger picture of what God is doing and what God is accomplishing. And he tells them stories about things that were lost. There's a woman who lost uh, a, an entire day's weight. She lost, she, she lost a $100 bill somewhere in the house, and she needs to find it. And there's a, a parable about a father who loses a son, and the son comes back to him. He tells these stories about people being lost, a sheep that has gone lost, and the shepherd goes out to find the sheep. These stories about lostness irritate the Pharisees because they don't like being surrounded by these people that they consider to be unclean, that they, that they think don't belong to God and they don't belong in this place. And so Jesus tells them another story that we told last week. He said, the reason that these people who are around you upset you is because you don't like being reminded that they pursue God while you pursue things. And then he turns to the Pharisees who are there and he says, you can't be a servant of God and also serve your wealth. You can't do both. He said, you can either worship God or you can worship the idol. It has to be one or the other, but not both. And Luke tells us that they started talking amongst themselves, making fun of Jesus. And so Jesus turned and told another parable, a very different kind of parable. 
the parable that it tells here is it's it's an apocalyptic parable, which means that it is a different kind of uh, a different kind of story. So normally, when when we read stories that are um, <laughs> normally when he tells stories, he's he's grabbing like ordinary things that are happening around people, and he compares eternal truths to these ordinary things. But in an apocalyptic story, what what the what the storyteller is doing is he's He's taking big cultural ideas and he's using them to explain ordinary things. So it's really kind of like the inverse of a parable. A parable takes ordinary things to tell an eternal story and an apocalyptic thing takes eternal ideas and pictures and symbols and uses them to interpret the world that we see around us. And so that's what Jesus is doing here. He's telling an apocalyptic parable. And he starts off by saying, there was a rich man. Now, when he says that this is a rich man, he doesn't just mean that there was a guy who had some who, who had some money. He doesn't mean there was this guy who had some land. Listen to the way that he describes him. He was clothed in purple. Now, the word that he uses there doesn't mean he wore a purple robe. Okay, it means that he loved to dress himself in purple. And in the ancient world, you could only get purple by collecting hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of tiny little sea snails and then grinding them into a powder. So you had to go into the ocean, gather hundreds of these snails in order to get enough dye to dye one garment. It was the most expensive color. In fact, if you look at uh, a fun fact, if you look at the flags around the world, there are only five or six flags, national flags, that have the color purple in them. Because until the, the late Middle Ages, it was too expensive to dye flags purple. You couldn't have that color in flags because there wasn't a way to produce that color in, in a way that would allow you to make flags. The color purple, it says that he loved to drape himself in the color purple. Now, the ESV calls it fine linen, but the word that he's using here is a word that refers to um, his, his undergarments. So he said, there was this rich guy, and he loved to drape himself in purple, and he had on the fanciest underwear, and he loved to invite all of his friends over, and they would all just lay around and they would stuff their faces with food. But at the gate of his house, there was a poor man, and this poor man's name was Lazarus. In Jesus' world, his name was Eleazar, but we're, but we're reading this in Greek, and so the Greek version of Eleazar is Lazarus. Now, there's a twist in this story, but I'm not, I'm not going to go into You guys can ask me about it later, but it's one of those like nerdy Bible things. So if you want to talk about it later, we can talk about it later. But I don't want to go down that, that, that bunny trail just yet. But this man who's laying at his gate is named Eleazar. He's named Lazarus. And he is not just poor, but he's sick. In fact, the word that they use is like he's been deposited at this guy's door. He's not able to get himself up and move around. People who knew this guy laid him at the rich man's doorstep. Now, when we think about a rich person, we think about, like, big houses and huge lawns and all this. That's not the way that the ancient world was. So when he had all of these people over to, to sit around the table and eat sumptuous food while they draped their, their, their fancy underwear in bright linen clothes, or bright purple clothes, he, he, Lazarus could hear the party that was going on inside. And the people, all of the people who came to the party saw Lazarus where he was. And Lazarus could smell all of the food that was inside that he wasn't able to eat. He could hear everything that was going on, but he was left 
at the gate completely alone. It says he would even have been fine just getting table scraps. Just whatever fell on the floor, if they would have brought that to him, that would have been something. But the only people who showed up to help take care of Lazarus are the dogs. Now, when dogs show up in Scripture, it's not a good thing. I know that for us, a dog is man's best friend. But in, in the ancient Near East, dogs were only nasty things. They were, they would, think of the word, the, 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 the word that comes to mind when I say vulture, okay? In the ancient world, dogs are like vultures are to us. It was like, oh, and the only people that hung out with him were just, you know, the buzzards would just sort of sit there and wait for him to die, which he does. And so does the rich man inside the house. And then what happens? There's a plot twist. <laughs> Right, because even though the, the because here's the thing, even in Jesus's world and also in our own, when we see people who are who are well off, we assume that they've done something right in their life, things are going well for them. We still, in our culture, make that assumption when we see somebody driving a nice car, when we see somebody you know dressed in nice clothes and you know doing all the things that people are supposed to do. We just assume that they've they've done things that are right, and that's that's why they have the things that they have. And if we see people who are poor, we just assume, oh, well, there's something wrong with them. And that's true for us, and it's also true in Jesus's world. And he tells the story, and at the end of the story, he says, but it was the person who was suffering for his whole life who goes to Abraham's side. Now, the, when he says side, he's not talking about, like, a place. Sometimes, sometimes people will read this, and they'll think, oh, well, you know, Jesus is describing what, what, what the afterlife looks like. It's, that's not what's going on. When, when he says this word, sitting at his side, it's, uh, it, it's a term of like being close to him. He's near to, to Abraham's heart. But, it, but, but it, it's a place in the sense that somebody who's sitting at your side is somebody who is reclined against you like Jesus and the disciples were at the Last Supper. So here's the description. So the person who starved to death at, at his neighbor's gate is now sitting, reclining at the table. It's banqueting language. He's reclining at the table with Abraham. While the guy who had everything and loved to have everything and invited over you know, people who were like him to share in those things, he is on the outside. He's in this place of, of darkness and this, this place where everything is dry and it's hot and it's, it's miserable all of the time. But he can see Abraham over there and he calls out to him and he says, Abraham, send Lazarus over here to give me a drink real quick. Which tells us two important things. One, he's very thirsty, and he thinks that it's other people's job to fix that for him. But it tells us something else. It tells us that he knows the name of the person sitting there. Think about that for a second. This rich man who walked past his gates every single day knows the person who's over there enjoying uh, enjoying comfort sitting beside Abraham at a banqueting table. He didn't just happen to have blinders on so that he didn't see the people who were around him hurting. He saw them, and he knew them, and he didn't care. But he thinks that it's that poor guy's job to come over here and serve me some more. Send him over here. He's, I know he's probably just over there helping you out because he's just you know one of those dirty poors. So send him over here and, and, and help us out some a little bit too. And Abraham says, no. <laughs> what? There's, there's no way for him to get from here to there. And also, 
he had nothing but horrible things happen to him for his entire life. So he's going to rest and he's going to be comforted right now. You just shush over there. <laughs> he says, okay, but, but hang on. But can you just send him back to my brothers? Just send him back to my brothers and, and, and tell them what happened. Because they'll believe. And Abraham says, no. If they don't believe what they heard from Moses, and if they don't believe what they heard in the prophets, they're not going to believe if somebody rises from the dead. They've already heard. They know what's happening, just like you knew what was happening, and you chose not to do it. You chose not to see the people who were at your door. You chose not to, to, to share what you had amongst your neighbors. You made that choice, and they made that choice, and you knew not to do it. That's what he says to him. Abraham shouts across that, that chasm. He shouts into the, you know, whatever cave it is that this, that this rich guy is in. He says, no, that's not the way that this is going to happen. And we could just leave the story there, okay? It is valuable for us to hear that and say, yes, I should pay attention to the people who are around me. I should make sure that. If, if that is all that you take away from today, that's good, <laughs> all right? Jesus absolutely wants us to share the wealth that we have with each other. Absolutely. But I think that we can go a little bit deeper into this story that Jesus tells because I think that there is a truth about Jesus and about grace and about his church that we miss. At least it's something that I missed, okay? First off, we often in our lives assume that we deserve what we have. And I don't think that that's necessarily confined to Jesus's world, and I don't think that it's necessarily confined to our world, even though our cultures are so drastically different. We often, as human beings, look at the things that we have and imagine that we deserve them. These are things in my life that I have because I've earned them. When the truth is that for almost every single one of us, we can look at our lives and say, I can imagine one or two small things being changed, and I wouldn't have the things that I have right now. It would only take a small twist of fate, just allow me to use the, the phrase, you understand what I mean by it. It would only take a few small changes for us to be in a completely different place, living a completely different life. We don't deserve the things that we have. The things that we have, we possess because of the abundance of the Father. What we have is a gift that's given to us. It's shared to us so that we can share with each other. And I'm not just talking about material things. There are all kinds of things that we possess that we need to see as something that's not just for me. It's something for me to share with other people. It could be the privilege that we, that, that, that we have. All of us sitting in here today come from various positions of privilege. In our culture and in our communities and in the, the, the individual uh, work environments that we live in, all of those places are places where we have privilege. And we didn't earn it. That's literally why it's called privilege. We didn't earn it. It's not something that we deserve. It's just something that we happen to possess. And we can choose either to use that to reinforce our own power, or we can use that to make sure that the people who are around us are cared for and taken care of. Sometimes that just looks like using our voice. You guys remember during all of the, the turmoil and the racial hostility during 2020, I started going to meetings with a bunch of the local pastors here 
that we were invited into these, these meetings just to begin having a conversation with black leaders who are here in our community. And, and I formed friendships with those people, but the thing that they asked me over and over and over again was not go back and make sure that you educate St. Aidan's. They didn't ask me to do that. I mean, they would love it if we would sit down and, and have a moment to educate each other about like, what is it like to, to be black in Jessamine County. And maybe there's a time in the future that we can have that conversation, and maybe we can invite some of my friends over, and they can have that conversation with us a little bit. But that wasn't the, the main thing that they wanted us to understand. What they, what they were asking for us to do was to simply lend our voices to their voices. So it wasn't just one or two people who were constantly asking for the, the leaders in our local community to be seen, but instead it was other pastors who had power, who had privilege, who had voice, to add that to them, to share this wealth that we have, because it's not something that we earned. It's not something we deserve. It's power that's been given to us, and simply we can use that to assist and to help the people who are around us. Wealth does the same thing. Power and privilege does the same thing. But here's what I want us to pay attention to. The gospel does the same thing. Sometimes we hear the gospel and we receive that, and we're like, yes, Jesus did awesome stuff for me. Now I'm not going to hell. Woo! You didn't earn the gospel. We didn't earn anything. Every single week we come forward and we say, we're not worthy to gather up the crumbs under your table. We should be like Lazarus, laying outside at the gate, starving to death. That's what we deserve. That's what we've earned. And yet, what does the Lord do? He opens the gate. He invites us in. He calls us his own. And he calls us to sit next to him at the table. The gospel is a gift that's entrusted to us to share. It's something that's been given to us so that we can continue to give it. We can give it to the little ones that haven't encountered it before. We can give it to our neighbors and our friends and our colleagues and our coworkers, the people who are around us all of the time. The gospel is a gift that we've been given to share, both in word and in deed. But even then, sometimes it, it feels like we've been given this thing and we, you know, we're, we're going to share the gospel with people because you know, that's what we're supposed to do. You know? there's, there's almost like a transactional value that we put on sharing the gospel. I grew up in, in, a, in, in a fundamentalist evangelical church, and, and when we did evangelism in that context, it was, it was like that. It was like we, we, had this, we had this job that we had to do, and we were getting something out of it. But as I was reading the commentaries, and I wish that I could, I, I looked this morning to try to find which commentator this was that pointed this out. But if, if I find it, I will let you guys know. But he pointed something out that I never paid attention to before. The rich man calls out to Abraham, okay? And he says to him, I beg you, Father, to send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they come also into this place of torment. Now remember when we talked about reading scripture well, we talked about paying attention to details that seem silly to us. And what's the detail that you hear there that, doesn't, that seems like it doesn't matter? He has five brothers. Lazarus is laying at the gate. And the rich man is inside and has five brothers. And in scripture, six brothers means a broken family. It means a family that isn't whole yet. 
when Jesus tells them this story, he said this rich man could have had a whole family if he had gone out to his doorstep and found the seventh brother. There could have been completeness in his family, but it wasn't complete because he held on to the things that he thought belonged to him. And that's absolutely true about our wealth and our privilege and our power and all of those things, but it's also true about the gospel. We share out of our abundance, not because we have an obligation, but because when we share out of our abundance, we become whole. When Jesus' lost brothers and sisters, when the lost children of the Father, those sheep that have disappeared, the, the, the money that rolled under the couch, the brother who ran away, when we find those people alongside Jesus, when he, we join him in the work that he's already always doing, it doesn't just bring something in, it makes us whole. That's what evangelism means. It doesn't mean going out and sharing a story and making sure that we've, you know, we've got the, the spiritual laws and we, we hand them off and we can sort of check the box and say, well, I evangelized somebody this week, done. That's not what it's about. It's about changing our orientation. It's about reorienting our entire life so that we look for the people who are on our doorstep. Because those are the people that God has placed into our lives to help. Those are the people that God has placed in our way so that we can share the abundance of his kingdom with each other and with our neighbors. It's in sharing that we become whole. That the household is full the way that it's supposed to be. That's the purpose of us sharing the gospel. It's for us to make God's household full to restore the things that have been lost, to bring the things that are lost back, to surround the table with our brothers and our sisters. And the trouble is that it's so easy for us to miss out on all of the things that Jesus is doing when we don't see the neighborhood the way that Jesus sees it. So this week, my challenge for us is this. I want to invite you to pray with me to see our neighborhood the way that Jesus sees it. That as we go into the grocery store, and as we go out to eat in restaurants, and as we go back to work tomorrow or back to school tomorrow, we simply pause for a moment throughout the day and say, Jesus, where are you at work right now? And how can I join you in that work that you're doing? Maybe it's going to be something small, like there's, you know, drama or, or something going on in our family, and we can simply say that Jesus is at work here, and I'm going to be attentive to Jesus' presence right here in this moment. It could be something right around your dinner table that you need to be attentive to the presence of Jesus. Or it could be something huge and big. There could be big things that are happening in the life that are around you. I don't know. But Jesus knows. And what he's inviting us into is a new way of seeing the neighborhood, to see the neighborhood the way that he sees it. I want that to be our prayer this week, for him to open our eyes, to see the world around us the way that he sees it. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Will you stand with me? Yeah. As we declare...
Thank you for checking out Thin Places today. If you were blessed by your time with us and want to know more, check out anchor.fm forward slash thin dash places for more homilies, devotionals, and worship from St. Aidan's Church in Nicholasville, Kentucky. And make sure to follow us and leave a comment and join us again next time in common prayer, common worship, and common life. The peace of the Lord be always with you. Father is restored.